Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. If I sound a little bit different today, folks, and I don't know that I do yet because I haven't actually uh, edited the show, because yesterday I went out and I bought a new headset, and uh, not a fan thing or anything, just the old one was starting to look pretty ragged uh, after being beat up in the car for a year. Uh, so we'll see how this one plays out and see if uh, you guys let me know whether you like the sound better or not. Alright, um, today's show is going to be uh, another listener question show. Uh, just keep getting great question after great question after great question. And again, I'll say, if I don't answer your question today and you're thinking, man, when's he going to answer my question? Odds are you've asked me a question that I can't just give a, a brief answer to and I'm probably putting together about three or four entire shows um, that are based on one question. All right, so a lot of you guys have been asking about EMP, for instance. If that's you, you won't get my answer today because uh, people are not saying, you know, what is your th- uh, expectation or what's the probability of an EMP strike? That's an easy question to answer. It's like seven questions about how to deal, prepare, uh, how it would affect the grid, how, how prepared is the United States, how long would the grid really be down. I mean, they're, they're complex questions. I can't do any Q&A show. Uh, so just know that, you know, there's some other questions out there like that. Before we get into the questions, though, let's go ahead and do today's house cleaning. Uh, again, I want to ask you, help me out, man. Get by the judge's uh, website, Freedom Watch's uh, website, and uh, vote for me to get me on the show as a guest. Uh, I think it would be a huge boost for the survivalist community to get some positive exposure on a show like Freedom Watch. Um, I-, I want you guys to know I've turned down uh, in the past several months two huge uh, TV appearances, one with uh, the good, not Good Morning America. Yeah, Good Morning America. And the other one was a Fox News piece. And you might wonder why I turned those down. Well, in both situations, the producer uh, that was on the phone with me was clearly trying to get a type of story uh, that I didn't want to give. They wanted to paint survivalists as people that are afraid. They wanted to paint us as people that the only thing we do is stock up a lot of food and, and, and mumble and worry. And uh, they wanted sensationalism. Uh, and I told them that's not what you're going to get from me, I think you should go find another guest. So I'm looking for the right type of uh, of venue to uh, help improve the way that people look at what we're doing, because my goal with this show is not so much to grow the show, but to grow the number of people living the way the show talks about, because I think that's better for all of us. Um, The next thing I wanted to... uh, to do is remind you to visit our advertisers because they they go a long way to help support the show. And uh, today's advertiser of the day is Safe Castle LLC. Uh, check those guys out. They have a great selection of supplies, and they also offer some of the the best hardened structures in the world, and uh, some really great stuff for the solar enthusiast as well. 
I also want to mention, I keep forgetting to do this, and I'll apologize to Shannon Appleby for that, but Shannon, he's up in uh, uh, Iowa trying to put together a uh, Region 6 get-together. He's got some really good participants uh, to come and speak and do things like that, but very low participation rates. So if you're up in the Region 6 area, check out uh, the Region 6 board and what Shannon's doing and see if you can get to, get by and be part of that uh, and, and meet with uh, Shannon. I know he's a great guy. And for those of you who have seen our videos, the video entry uh, with uh, the Survival Podcast logo and the cool theme music and all, that's all from Shannon. He did that for us as uh, a piece of volunteer work, so I appreciate that. And last but not least, if you think you get more than 25 cents in value per show, consider joining the Member Support Brigade and get exclusive content only available to members, including video content. All right, so let's get on with the show. First one's an interesting question. person says to me, um, we bought about 40 acres of land, and I don't remember what state this was in now, but somewhere up in the north, northeast, north central, something like that. Uh, but they bought 40 acres of land. Hoorah, good for you. And uh, they have no problem, I guess, making the mortgage payment. At least it didn't seem like they did. But they have a variable rate mortgage on the land, and it is prime minus I think three quarters of a, per, a point. So prime minus 0.75. So they've been paying about four percent. Um, they want my thoughts on this and and what I would do in their situation. Okay, here's the thing. I don't have all of the information about your loan. Um, short term, I don't see interest rates going skyrocketing, going anywhere crazy. Seeing a 1% rise in interest rates sometime by the end of the year or next year, if the economy starts what looks like a recovery and the Fed wants to put the reins on it so it doesn't come back too fast because that is a risk and it could create a real quick little bubble and a much deeper recession. So that might be an action that they would take, but I don't see them jacking it up three or four points. What you have to do is you have to do the math. You have to know what one point in interest going up means now before it happens. And you have to make a decision that there's a point, and then you have to look at the fixed rate. If you were to convert, what would that payment be? And how long does it take for the adjustable rate to reach the fixed rate? And you have to make a decision based on that, I guess. The other thing I didn't get told about this is, well, are you just paying the minimum payment? You know, you're just paying the minimum payment on the land. And what's the term of the mortgage? Is it, if it's just land, is it a 10-year mortgage? Is it a 30-year mortgage? Is it a 20-year mortgage? That is going to take uh, things into account. too. So if it's 10 years payments and you're making a payment and a half, I wouldn't freaking worry about it. I, I really wouldn't. I'd just keep throwing money at it. It'll, it'll, the, the debt will go away. If you're mortgaged the land for 30 years, at some point you're going to want to lock a fixed rate. And I don't think they're going to go much lower than they are right now. So, again, you got to make your own decisions there, but I would look at that carefully. The other thing you have to do is look at the structure of your loan. A lot of these variable rate mortgages um, in year five or year seven adjust up no matter what the prime rate does. They, they have gotchas in them. Uh, is there any kind of a balloon at the end of the thing? There's all types of things you have to look at with your loan. I personally don't like adjustable rate mortgages. You already have one. If you had same question, it was like we're, we're thinking of doing a fix at 5.1 or a variable at 4, what should we do? I'd say, and again, unless you're paying it off in less than 10 years, 
um, I would definitely say go with fixed. Because there's a, a rule out there that is if you invite Murphy into your life, not only will he show up, but he'll show up and kick you dead smack between the legs. All right? And that's for Murphy's Law. If something can go wrong, it will. Right, and that's that's what you're doing when you start gambling with your financial future, and that's what a variable rate mortgage is. So it's already a done deal. You really need to look hard at the structure of the loan. If you want to send me more information, I'll revisit this topic for you if you can answer my concerns there and give you some more specific advice. But overall, I do not like adjustable rate mortgages because they create a variable expense. I would rather fix my expenses as tightly as possible and create variances in a positive manner from my income. Because every time I create a variance that goes positive, I can use that money to invest in an asset or store away. Right, so I see it as a totally different uh, financial apparatus. But I wouldn't beat you across the head for it or anything. I wouldn't call you dumb. I'd understand why you did it. It may, depending on how much you paid for the land, it may be saving you a crap load of money. Then you just better really keep an eye on things and do the math now. What does four and a half mean? What does five mean? What does five and a half mean? What does six? Where's your breaking point? And if the fixed rate starts to get close to your breaking point, boy, you better act because the variable's right behind it working its way up. And at the point that the variable reaches your breaking point, the fixed has run away on you and it's passed. And that's how a lot of people got into trouble, so really keep an eye on this. Um, got a question from a guy who lives out in the desert, I think near Vegas, this one, and uh, says, hey, Jack, um, what can I plant out here? It's not just a lack of water, it's the soil. There isn't any soil. It's sand. It's gravel. But it grows in this stuff. You know? What the hell? How am I supposed to be a permaculturist in the desert? Well, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to get yourself inspired. If you live in the desert and you don't think you can grow anything, I want you to cart your hiney over to YouTube. And I want you to type into the little box on YouTube, and I'll give you a link in today's show notes as well. But I want you to type into the little YouTube box the words greening, G-R-E-E-N-I-N-G, greening the desert. And I want you to listen to Geoff Lawton, or Jeff Lawton. I call him Geoff because he spells it that fancy European way. And uh, I want you to listen to a little five-minute video and watch and see what they did in, a, in the desert near the Dead Sea at one of the lowest elevations on Earth with less than 10 inches of rainfall a year. And I want you to see what they planted and what they've created and what's growing there. And I want you to be inspired by that. I also want you to watch a video of uh, permaculturist Bill Mollison uh, called Permaculture for Arid Lands. It's about an hour. It's a 40-minute video, I think. It's on Google Video. Uh, you can go to, uh, to Google Video and search for Permaculture Bill Mollison Dry, and you'll probably find it pretty quick. And uh, I'll also put a link to that video in today's show notes for you. And those are a good starting point. Because they'll tell you way more than I can in just a simple answer. What I will tell you, though, is this. Don't think nothing will grow in the desert. The only thing that keeps things from not growing in the desert is there's no cooperative shade between the plants to keep everything from evaporating. The water doesn't retain, the ground doesn't retain moisture, so what water there is runs off. Okay? If you solve those two problems, 
problems. You can grow stuff anywhere. Some of the things that would grow great in your climate are probably citrus and figs, and I'll tell you that you're blessed because you could probably grow them. Now, the citrus, I'm not sure what your winters are like in Vegas. I don't know if you get those really cold, freezing nights there um, with the dry air and the, the very clear skies, etc. So you might have to look for some citrus that is hardy, you know, down into quite a bit below freezing. And there's a lot of citrus out there that will handle down to like 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So those are some things. Figs, there's definitely some things. But I would tell you date palm is another great plant, desert plant. But you can probably grow anything you want if you follow the example that's in these two videos that I'm going to give you. And you start out with massive amounts of mulch. Massive amounts of mulch and plant legumes in the mulch. Provided some shade somehow, some way, some shape, some form at the hottest part of the day and put in drip irrigation. Start with that. And then build what you want because believe it or not, it's not impossible. In fact, when you watch the two videos I'm talking about, you'll be amazed. When you watch the one with Bill Mullins and the longer one, you'll see him walking through our deserts. In the, the desert southwest, you'll see them walking through these huge green belts in the middle of the desert. And you'll look at the green belts in the middle of the desert, and you'll say to yourself, where the hell did that come from? Was there a river there or something? It looks like a river. That was this big green line going right through the desert. All it is is a swale. Swales that were put in to help repair the desert during uh, the, t the days of the Civilian Conservation Corps under, under uh, FDR. So don't lose heart and don't think you can't make it work because you can. It's not as easy as it is in some places. There's challenges. Just give it a shot. Start working with one little piece. Terraform the desert. Green your own desert. It can be done, and it will be very, very rewarding. Here's what I've been getting a lot lately. I did this video, and if you haven't seen it, I would really encourage you to go watch it. It's on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash user slash survival podcasting. Somebody stole survival podcast. Right? I don't know who has my name out there, but you friended me. Somebody took my name on YouTube. <laughs> It's all right, though. It's all cool. So my, my YouTube ID is Survival Podcasting. Anyway, I made this, this video of the troops uh, to the song World by Five for Five, which is just a beautiful song. And just these beautiful pictures of our soldiers all over the world, even a couple of them right here in America. There's two from America. I'll let you figure out which two of those are. It's not real hard. Uh, some of them are from Honduras, Panama, a ton of them from Iraq and Afghanistan. And... And anybody that's listening to the show knows I consider myself a raving libertarian. I'm just a crazy freaking libertarian when it comes to my politics. And libertarians are big on non-interventionism. In other words, the United States should not be in 110 to 130 countries, depending on whose numbers you believe. We should not spend the rest of the world with military, um, you know, every outspend every other country combined. We really need to get our you know asses out of places like Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, stop screwing around with the rest of the world. But yet I'm extremely pro-military. I'm extremely supportive of our troops. Used to be one of them. Right? And I believe that the work that our people do is good. And what I get from people is you're not a libertarian. You think you are, but you're not. You know. And first of all, before I even answer this, let me tell you this. If, you're a li if you think you're a libertarian, and you look at other people that say they're libertarian and go, I'm a bigger libertarian than you, or you're not really a libertarian because... Right? Shut up. Shut the hell up. You people are ruining the libertarian movement. You're destroying it. 
You're making it so, you're doing the same thing the Constitutional Party did when they turned it into a Bible thumpers only club. If you're not a devout Christian, you have no place in the Constitution Party. The way it's set up, the way it's chartered, the way it's run. And you libertarians that are out there going, you know, unless you completely believe in anarchy, you're not a libertarian or whatever. You have one pet issue that you think you've got to be completely extreme on this. You, shut up. You're, you're ruining everything. Okay? You're not going to win people over that way. Just like there's some people that are Democrats that aren't that bad of people, and then there's some raving nutjob left-wing freak-out Democrats, there's libertarians of various shades. All right? Now, the Libertarian Charter itself says, wait, we're open to people that are hawks or dubs. It's up to you. We believe if we run a free society, it won't matter. Okay? So, so there's no conflict even with, uh, you know, if you were looking at being a card-carrying member of the Libertarian Party, which I am no longer really. I, I guess I am because I support those guys by giving them their 35 bucks a year or whatever it is. But I, I don't really call myself a Libertarian as in affiliated with the party. I call myself a Libertarian as believing in liberty, all right, and less government, less government intervention. But how can I be pro-military? Look, it's the same way that you can be pro-gun, you idiot, all right? And, and then say that, well, if somebody shoots somebody with a gun, it's the person that pulled the trigger's fault, not the gun's fault. All right? That's pretty freaking simple. And if you're a libertarian that thinks you're a better libertarian than everybody else, you probably use some form of that argument over and over again. Well, guess what? Our troops are not the finger. Okay? They're the gun. They go where they're told, and they do what they're told, and they do the best job that they can under the frickin' circumstances that they're in. So if they get sent somewhere and I don't want them to go there, I still support them and I still support their mission. Now, I want them to come home, but I do not want them to fail on the battlefield. That's the difference between somebody that can be an objector to a military action and still be a patriot and still love his military people and an America hater who says, oh, I'm for the troops, but I hope they fail. That's bullshit. But there's no conflict in what I'm telling you here. It's pretty straightforward. The sergeant right now leading his men in Afghanistan in enemy territory being shot at, man, my heart goes out to that guy, and I hope they kill the shit out of the people shooting at them. I really do. Because that's the only way they're going to survive, and the only way they're going to come back. At the same time, I wish he wasn't there. I wish he wasn't over there. That's pretty simple and easy to understand. And you people that keep telling me where the libertarian bar is and telling me I'm not jumping high enough, again, I say to you, shut your hole. Right? Because you're anti-libertarian by telling somebody else how far they have to go. All right? You're an idiot. And you're ruining your own movement. And there's so much of that in the libertarian community. So damn much of it. And we're not going anywhere until you people learn to close your beaks. And start embracing the people that are willing to start working towards a little bit of liberty. Because we're not getting it all at once anyway. Alright. Next one. Guy sends me an email. Says, Jack, I voted for Barack Obama. I listen to you every day. I agree with a lot of what you have to say. But I think our country has some real problems. I believe that Obama is on the right track with national health care. It's not his question, so I won't go there. Let me tell you, I think that is wrong. But I'll just let it go with there. But basically what he said is, you promised, you promised to be objective with Barack Obama. And you were hard on Bush. And at times you'd say Bush has done the right thing in this one instance. Okay? You 
promised to be the same way with Barack Obama. Well, he's been in office for a hundred and something days now. Surely the man's done something right. Will you admit it? Okay? Just a couple days ago, Barack Obama did something I believe was right, and I know a lot of people that like my show and like me are not going to agree with this. Um, when he came out initially with the situation in Iran and said, the U.S. basically needs to play this thing hands off. We don't need to be sticking our nose into the middle of the Iranian process, even if it's wrong. They will sort themselves out. We're not going to try to influence things from over here, because that will actually weaken the opposition anyway. Now, what the problem ends up being is even when he does something right, now all the people on the right wing, the neocon world, if you're insisting on using that name, that's another, that's another stupid, stupid name. Because it infers that those guys are actually in opposition to the liberal progressives. All right? They're all doing the same thing. Please wake up and understand that. But, you know, th their little presentation from their side of getting their agenda accomplished starts kind of harping on, you know, we should be leading the way. We, you know, we need to be backing people that support freedom, blah, blah, blah. He starts to cave. He gets harder-handed. Right? Then he starts a conflict between him and Ademajad. And Ademajad sends him a letter basically telling him to screw off. Right? He was doing it right. He caved in to the right wing of the political circus. And he's messed it up some now. But I think that was a good move. I also have to say, um, I don't think that we can say that Michelle Obama has created as many gardens as Jack Spierko has. I actually think I've created more gardens than Michelle Obama has with her garden, but I'm glad they did it. I think that was a great thing. And uh, she's going around all these little schools up there in D.C. and helping them plant gardens on their schools. Hey, I, I can't object to that. That's a wonderful thing. And uh, I don't know. I think the Obamas would be probably better off if they stayed in uh, private life, used their charisma to raise a, a shitload of money, and affected change by going in and doing things like that. I think they would be very good at it. I just wish the ass cloud wasn't running my country because it's not what he should be doing. No more than I should as far as I'm concerned. If you came to me tomorrow and said, Jack, you can be president, I'd say, I don't want the job. I'm not qualified to be president of the United States. I'm really not. Maybe a congressman or a senator. I can screw through many things up as a president. Alright? So, I think that you know, we can find somebody better to do the job than me, and I think we can find somebody better to do the job than him. But I'm not adverse to saying when I agree with something the guy's done. And if I was, then you shouldn't listen to anything I have to say about politics. Because unless you can admit when the when you know, when your opposition does something right, unless you can do that, you're not objective. You're full of crap. And you're trying to further your own objectives instead of, you know, speak the truth and get where we really need to go. Now, please remember, if you don't agree with that, that's okay, all right? If you don't think that we should be keeping our nose out of Iran, if you think we should get in there and do something, that's fine for you to believe that. I disagree with you. You disagree with me. That doesn't mean we can't continue to pursue our overall journey, you know, self-sufficiency together, okay? All right, so next question. This one really wasn't a question. It was a story that somebody told me. And it was one I decided I wanted to share with everybody because I think this is really cool. Now, this guy writes in and says basically his wife's not on board yet. Not really open to even listening to the show and uh, getting flipped, I guess, the way some spouses have. Um, so it's hard for him to justify spending money on storing food and things like that. And 
and uh, but you know, he decided to start doing what I say I do every day, which is go take a walk at lunchtime, get away from the office, get the negativity off you for a while, get a little bit of exercise, get some air. So he starts walking around, and he starts all of a sudden, you know, upping his situational awareness, which is something else I've said to do. Well, as he ups his situational awareness, he starts realizing he's finding dimes, nickels, pennies, and even, you know, an occasional quarter. He starts picking money up off the ground while he takes a walk at lunchtime every day. So he thinks to himself, where would people lose the most amount of money? Parking meters. So apparently there's some place near, I don't remember exactly how I described it in his email, but there's some place near where he works with a whole bunch of parking meters. So what he does is every day at lunchtime now he walks by the parking meters. And he picks up money. He saves up the money, puts it in his pocket, and then when he has enough money, he goes out and buys different canned goods for his storage. Okay? Two birds, one actually three birds, one stone. Exercise, money, asset. Right? So he's going out, getting a little workout at lunchtime, collecting funds, and investing it in an asset food. So far, he's got about 15 pounds of canned foods stored from money he's picked up off the ground. And if he just keeps doing that every day for the rest of the year, he did that in two weeks. He'll have a full pantry of canned goods for free by taking a walk at lunchtime. This is what I'm saying. Don't tell me you can't do something. Don't tell me you can't get there. There is always, always a way. Is your way walking by parking meters and picking up quarters? I don't know. I don't know what your way is. I'm just giving you an example of what one person did completely by accident, but only because, one, he acted. Two, he started to pay attention to what was going on around him. And three, he wanted it bad enough to take a step and do it. So in any of your preparedness goals, you can do the same thing. I don't care what it is that you think you can't get to. You don't have enough money for You're not rich enough. Whatever you're going to tell me, bollocks, as the British say. Okay? You can get there. You just have to pay attention. And you have to want it bad enough. And you have to create opportunity for yourself. And if you can do it in your spare time, almost by accident, so much the better. But that would have never happened for this guy if he didn't open his eyes, and more importantly, his mind, and pay attention to what was right in front of him all along. So hopefully that's your little inspirational story for the day. Here's another tough one, and I've been challenged again with my libertarian credentials at the, with this one. Not from this person, but at other times. Because I'll mention that, you know, in a pandemic maybe, that the, uh, the government might declare martial law and put us into a lockdown, a quarantine mode. And it you know, if it's a real pandemic that's really killing lots of people, we really can't fault them because it's the only thing that they can do. It's the only way they can prevent the spread of the disease. So I'm told, well, people should have their freedom. Yeah, even if they're walking around spreading the disease, killing thousands of other people, they should have it for, okay, ace. And this is, again, this is why you libertarians, your uber-libertarians, can't seem to figure out why no one will listen to you and you can't spread your message. Because you, you, you go too freaking crazy, right? Somebody challenges you on the drug thing. Oh, we got to give them meth. Whatever, you know. Just, just relax. You know, take a pill. Anyway, so the question was basically, is there any time where I can see that martial law would be acceptable, where they should do it? And that is one. And I'm not sure how many more that there really are. 
But at a point in time in which the very act of walking across the street is spreading death to other people, not this BS little bullshit, you know, fake flu, flu pandemic that they're, they're saying we have. You know, by the way, it's a pandemic now. World, World, World Health Organization has declared it a pandemic because it's in enough countries at the same time, which must mean we have a, a, a cold pandemic every year. And it must mean that we have a flu pandemic with just regular flu every year, too, if we're going to use that standard. But, no, I'm talking, guys, we get, you know, that, that disease with a lethality of 5 or 10% easily spread human-to-human contact, thousands of people dead, thousands of people in hospitals, hospitals overloaded. That situation, yeah. And my, my question to those who would say, you can't do it, you shouldn't do it, it's wrong, what can you do then? What other options do we have in that situation? Is there any other way to control the spread of the disease? Or just because you think that you're entitled to go where you want, should you be allowed to be a vector that spreads that disease? I I have a hard time thinking of other situations where it's really acceptable. Because, and that's full-scale martial law, everybody in your homes, nobody come out, where are your papers if you're moving, that type of thing. Now, I do think also there's a place for what I guess I would call a limited martial law, where people are still allowed to move around, but there is an extra security force there to provide the security for the people that don't mean harm to anybody else. And here's what I'm talking about there. I just did the Johnny Max uh, Brew Crazy podcast, right, and the, the Brew Crazy crew, uh, and, you know, they've had to deal with hurricanes down there. And what he said is, when one of the hurricanes came through, I can't remember what one it was, but nobody basically showed up from the government to help or prevent anything. And all that happened is, like, the Redneck Army came out with chainsaws and pickup trucks that had all the roads opened and cleared overnight. And when they locked down Beaumont, it took months for this or weeks for the same thing to happen instead of days. Because the people that live in the community generally will try to put things back together if you'll let them. So I can see a situation, though, where you've got a city that's, you know, maybe got a really bad element in it. And that they would use this as an opportunity to steal. And you would send the National Guard in to defend the homeowner instead of suppress the homeowner. And that would be a form of martial law as well. But it wouldn't be an oppressive form of martial law. Now, some of you guys don't trust the government no matter what they do. I don't trust the government either. I trust the guardsmen. I'm back to the soldier here, folks. I trust him to follow his orders, which include you disobey illegal and immoral orders. You have an obligation to turn to a higher-up when an order is illegal or immoral and refuse the order on that grounds. It's part of your training. And I trust that the guy from Texas, who's in Texas, who's chosen to give up part of his liberty to serve, will do the right thing the majority of the times. I don't trust the federal troops in that situation. I'm not really talking about the Army either. You know, I'm talking about the guys that wear black. I don't trust them at all in that situation. But I trust the guardsmen in many of those, not all, but many of those situations. And I think it's important that we understand that the National Guards are an asset. And that um, we ran our country the right way, they would probably have a larger role 
day to day in the nation uh, than our than our full full time service people, because they are there to serve the state and the people of the state. And I'd actually like to see them doing more things from a service-oriented standpoint for their states. And I'd like to see them attract more people to the Guard for that type of reasoning. Um, Next question. There's been some stuff going around lately saying... And it's in a bunch of email newsletters, and it's all investor stuff that this is coming out of. And it's saying that the Saudi Arabians have been lying about how much oil they have in reserve for a very long time, and they're basically almost out of oil, at least out of any easy, cheap oil. It's, it's, it's almost gone. And the, the, the huge reserves under the Saudi fields have been sucked dry. And somebody emailed or emailed a question and said, do I think there's any truth to this? Is, this? is this a rumor? Is it reality? Is it possible that it's true? You know, where are we at with this one? Well, first of all, I have a hard time trusting anybody that sends out those long sales copy letters to sell which stocks to invest in next to, to make a million dollars by next year. Um, their motivation is to sell to you. If they were that good at picking stocks, they wouldn't sell the information. They'd just go do it. And they'd make so much damn money that they wouldn't care about all the work that goes into marketing a product on the Internet. It's a lot more work than those people are willing to admit it is. Trust me, I know. It's what I do. Um, so if you had a secret to make millions of dollars because you knew every stock to buy, well, you just go out and trade those stocks. So that already sets off my red flag alert. Number two, I think if the Saudis were low on oil, they would be the last people to hide it. Say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Of course they would hide it. They wouldn't want everybody to find out. Um, Sure they would. If you're selling the last of your oil, and you're the biggest oil player in the world, and you're going to run out, even hinting, that you're almost out. Creating a rumor that you're almost out will do what to oil prices? They drive them up through the roof. We're back to that $140 a barrel and more. If Saudi Arabia is almost out of oil, we might see $300 a barrel oil. So I am very skeptical of this rumor, not just because of its source, but because of a reality on the ground that the Saudis would most benefit out of everybody from allowing the knowledge to get out there. That would be good for them. Three, it's not in any major news publication out there. No one. And I mean none. No, no, I mean, even, I'm even talking like people like Al Jazeera, all right, and the Russian, you know, the Russian publications and, and everything on all sides of the, the globe. I can't find anything except bloggers and people hawking um, stock reports that are saying that this is true. And I don't believe that that guy gets a secret report because he's a stock investor. Like, he's got, like, inside black ops guys feeding him information. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't seem to be any reality. Now, the other side of this is, could the, could the oil reserves that are out there right now be depleted based on the demand capacity ratio? Yes. Can we hit peak oil tomorrow? Yeah. Even with lots of oil left, even with billions of gallons of oil left, we can still hit peak. All it takes is the economies of India and China simultaneously doubling, uh, which is probably going to happen over the next 10 years. And when that demand increases, it just exceeds the capacity of production. So that's what peak oil really is. It doesn't mean the oil runs out. So there is a truth 
embedded in the, in, the, in the fiction here, I guess, so to speak. We do have to worry about declining oil reserves, not just in Saudi Arabia, but everywhere. Now, do I think that maybe the Saudis might be fibbing a little bit, and they might not quite have as big a reserves as they say they do, and they want to keep their place in world prominence? Yeah. But if they were going to run out soon, and not be able to ship soon, they'd want to make every penny they could out of what was left, or they would want to hoard what they have for internal use. But they're not going to lie like that. That's just insane. It doesn't make any sense. You know, unless unless the tinfoil hat guys are right about the New World Order and they've been paid off. They've been paid six times what their oil's worth, uh, you know, to keep their mouth shut. I guess that's possible, but it sure as hell isn't probable. Keep it on it. We'll see. But my, my belief is don't believe that shit. It's designed to sell you informational product. Here's a, I guess probably the last question we'll do today, and it's a good one. And a guy says, hey, you know, you were talking about this new world alliance um, between uh, Brazil, India, Russia, and China. Made a really compelling case for it. Uh, kind of bothers me, and scares me, and at the same time, at least I know. But I was, he was wondering, I mentioned, you know, Russia having huge oil reserves. He said, what else does Russia have uh, as a player in this new game other than oil? Well, one thing they have is, is they've invested very, very smartly uh, a lot of their phony money into gold and natural resources around the world, very similar to the way that China has. And uh, they own a lot of really uh, good pr- production assets or uh, reserve assets in the form of commodities. So that's a huge piece of leverage. But one of their biggest pieces of leverage, and this is something almost no one really gets or understands, is that Europe is massively dependent on liquefied natural gas. They use it way more than we do in the United States. Um, hold on, folks. i got to let a truck try to run me off the road here. Um, so... Where do they get most of it? Well, they get about seven. Europe gets about 70%, I think it is, of their liquefied natural gas pumped through a pipeline. It comes from Russia. So they buy it from Russia, and Russia owns the infrastructure that gets it there. All right? That's a huge piece of leverage over a lot of what's left of the old world wealth, all right, in, in, in Europe. So they have not just oil, but huge natural gas reserves. They also have a massive amount of technology. They have a massive amount of collective intelligence on the way the Western military and Western intelligence systems work. The CIA, our national security, all of that. They, They have more information about that than anybody else in the world. And we are the big domino on the board that has to be overcome by this new world alliance, right? And not new world order, new world alliance. And I'm just saying it's just a group of countries that have decided that, you know, economically the U.S. has screwed things up pretty bad. So Russia has a tremendous amount of leverage, a tremendous amount of assets. They have a very hard-working, ethical people. And the people that are still there after they had a chance to get out really love the nation of Russia. They love their country. Uh, they're patriots. You know, we, we, were, we were lied to during the Cold War. We were told that if they opened up the, the border, that everybody in Russia would leave tomorrow and flee. Well, it wouldn't have happened. There's people that want it out, but there's people that really love their nation over there, just like you love yours. And that that human asset is huge. They have a lot of industrial manufacturing capability, especially with heavy machinery, heavy equipment. Um, look 
up Arm and Hammer, not the people that uh, that make baking soda. And you'll find that the largest Arm and Hammer um, plant in the world is in Russia. And it was there even during the Cold War. Uh, they have a massive industrial production capability. They're scaling back their military. They're keeping their spend on their military to down around 5% of their GDP. Uh, which means what they have is a very well-trained, very small, um, efficient military backed up by the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the world, so they probably never really have to use it except in small military operations in support of their new allies, the, the, the Indians and the Chinese, uh, who have enough bodies to make up for what they don't. I, I really think this is the case, folks. I really think you're seeing Russia take its place with China strongly aligned with them, um, much the way that the U.K. did with the United States. When the U.K. could no longer maintain its, its empire, and it just fell under its own weight, and it collapsed, and it didn't want to lose its prominence in the world, it used its money and its influence, and it put us on point as its big brother thug and had a lot more influence over us than we did over them, and then publicly it looked the other way around. Publicly it looked like the, U the U.S. would lead and the U.K. would follow. But trust me, that's not the way it's really worked. The U.K. has been pulling more of the strings than we have, and they've been happy to let the public blame us and see them simply as an ally that's willing to stay with its, stay with its ally even when it, its ally might be wrong. And getting some flack for that, but a hell of a lot less flack than we do. Russia's not stupid. That's what they're doing. And with China at Russia's side, uh, they're going to have a lot more leverage. It's a great question. Um, so that kind of wraps it up today. Uh, I got distracted a bit today. I hope it wasn't too bad. I had some really large vehicles trying to take me out today, folks, and I had some uh, police activity around me. I actually thought they were getting me for a second. Maybe it was uh, maybe it's the conspiracy guys are out to get me or something. And two motorcycle cops with their lights on behind me, and as I started to move over, they went past me. Uh, then I had a sheriff come up on me pretty fast. He just wanted around, too. So I don't know what was going on. That was distracting. But overall, I hope it was a good show. I like doing shows like this. Keep sending me your questions. Just put question for Jack in the subject line and send it to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to finish up the week with another show that's just all on one topic. Uh, tune in for that one. I think you'll enjoy it. Again, please go buy Freedom Watch uh, and vote for the Survival Podcast. I'll give you a link in today's show notes again so you can do that. I really want to get on that show and uh, doing everything I can to get that done. I want to be able to go out and I want to explain to mainstream America, uh, at least those that are a little bit interested in liberty, how you can live a better life uh, today, not just if things go wrong. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter. Get spent